Good evening, and welcome once again to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco Bay Area. I'm your host, Jeff Hayden. Joining me as tonight's co-host is Brent Turner, a community activist who was instrumental in the creation of the San Francisco County Voting Systems Task Force and has been a director of communications for Open Voting, Open Voting Consortium. Brent has been recognized as a groundbreaking activist for sustainability and dedicates himself to local, state, and federal issues. Mr. Turner was recently featured in the award-winning reform documentary, The Real Activist, with CIA director, former CIA director, Jim Woolsey and Peter Coyote. Brent. Good evening, Jeff. Brent, good evening. Good evening. Well, so what are we going to talk about tonight? You know, I think the topic that we've addressed previous election system technology and security is, is, uh, ready for a revisit. There's some more news, uh, and, uh, I'm glad to fill the, the, the listeners in on what's been going on. And we have some great guests tonight. I think we're going to have maybe calling in. Uh, one or two supervisors from Shasta County. And then we have also joining us, uh, Chris Jordanik, the uh, former president, current vice president of the San Francisco Elections Commission. Uh, Chris is uh, heroic in his efforts to implement open source voting systems. You know, it's been a while since we talked about this. And, and yes, some things have happened. But why the focus on Shasta County? What's been going on up there? Well, Shasta County has an interesting situation where the uh, Republican-controlled, uh, of course, we consider election system reform and integrity a nonpartisan issue. But the fact is a Republican-controlled Board of Supervisors threw Dominion voting systems out uh, of the county. And... Uh, if uh, our supervisors show up tonight, I know they're running in and out of meetings and maybe become available, but if um, uh, we, we can let them speak in greater depth, but in a nutshell, uh, the county through the Dominion voting systems out of the county and uh, replaced them with uh, hand counting. Uh, unfortunately, uh, which means, you know, the, the, the removal of all technology and they would just have a paper ballot hand marked and count it by hand in a, in a group setting. Well, uh, Governor Newsom passed, I think it's 969, which disallows hand counting. So they were forced to go by another, uh, proprietary intellectual property software protected system, uh, which we don't advocate. And uh, that, I think, was uh, by heart inner civic. So now the uh, county is at odds with each other. A lot of the constituency wants hand-counting paper ballots, which we don't advocate uh, as election system analysts and security analysts because that has flaws and scaling issues and sustainability issues, uh, hand-counting. And it's unrealistic because it's now it's illegal uh, per per this recent uh, Gavin Newsom law. But um, uh, 
Also, uh, we don't advocate for the proprietary systems uh, because that is um, also not best practice. Uh, we know that states like New Hampshire and now Mississippi, of all ironic territories, uh, have moved toward the better open source paper ballot systems, and those have been deployed and functioning well. So California is in this embarrassing position right now with Shasta County being the tip of the spear that uh, we we failed to provide best practice availability because our Secretary of State has not allowed a trial or any progression toward these open source voting systems yet in the state. So that's basically what's going on in Shasta. They just happened to get caught in the crunch of this issue. And they weren't necessarily ill-conceived to be suspicious of the proprietary voting systems, but they just didn't have a good backup plan other than, in their minds, hand counting. And uh, that isn't going to fly, I don't believe. So So that's what's going on, in a, in a, to be brief on it. So to sum up, tonight in Your Legal Rights, we're discussing elections, voting, and after you cast your votes, just what happens to them? You know, I guess the real question is, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? And for the for that which we are doing wrong, is there a pathway to fix it? So sounds like there's a lot to discuss here. Uh, we do want you involved in the conversation, so give us a call. Our phone number right here is 415-841-4134. Again, it's 415-841-4134. If you're outside of the San Francisco Bay Area, call toll-free at 866-798-8255. And again, that's 866-798-8255. Bear in mind that our guests can't provide you precise legal advice. Their legal guidance mightn't be the positions of their employers or their clients or, in tonight's case, their constituents. But they're here to help. They're here to inform. So, Brent, who's joining us tonight? Uh, tonight, uh, we have my first guest, which will be Chris Jordanik. And I'll go into some uh, detail about Chris's background and, and his his uh, assistance to the movement toward open source election systems and his leadership. But also, I just uh, wanted to make some foundational comments regarding open source and what this is when we talk about the difference between an open source election system using what we refer to as general public license open source software with a paper ballot versus what the current standards are uh, with proprietary software code systems. Basically, in a nutshell for lay people like myself to understand, if you have an open system an open source system, it's a little counterintuitive and that one might think that might mean it's open to manipulation, but actually the opposite is correct. The benefit of the transparency and the availability of the code to the folks that know about code is that if there was a bug or a problem with the system, that could be noted and corrected. Whereas in the current systems, uh, in a what we call a black box scenario, um, 
if there was a bug or a problem with the system, you wouldn't necessarily notice it. And if you did happen to come across it, uh, you may not be able to remedy it in an efficient manner. So that's why there's this advocacy toward open source security systems. This open source is utilized by the Department of Defense, the Air Force, um, the, the, uh, NASA and also is advocated by folks like the Southern Poverty Law Center, the National Organization of Women, the Medgar Evers family. This is really an issue that galvanizes both sides of the aisle. And we work also with Republican senators, Senator Shower in Alaska and others that as good patriots just want free and fair elections with the best security available. So that's what we're talking about. And with that, I'll introduce Chris Jordanik. Uh, Chris is a hero of mine. Uh, he, uh, was, uh, called out by Tucker Carlson as a, as a bad actor. And that in itself, I, I find fun and amazing. He's, uh, been leading the San Francisco Elections Commission. Again, this is a nonpartisan issue. And, uh, Chris has led, uh, the commission not necessarily toward action because I won't get into that detail. I'll spare Chris that, that association, but needless to say that the head of the department of elections there isn't exactly a pioneer when it comes to technology and best practices in elections. So um, Chris can fill in, but I know he is, uh, and I'll look at his resume here, currently the vice president of the San Francisco election commission. Uh, they oversee all public elections in San Francisco and sets general policies. Um, and I'm sorry, I don't have his, academic CV in uh, with me, but Chris, I think, did, aren't you Yale and Harvard or something of the sort? I'll let you take over. Well, thanks for the kind words, Brent and, and Jeff and Brent. Thank you for having me today and, and bringing attention to this issue. As far as my, um, my education, I, w- I was an undergraduate at Harvard. That was many years ago. And I have a, a PhD in mathematics. And by day, I'm a, I'm a software engineer. But yeah, I've been serving for 10 years now on the San Francisco Elections Commission. This year is my final year, my final term. But we've, uh, the commission has been very supportive of open source voting over the the past decade. And um, the city was supportive of open source voting for many years before that, going back all the way to 2007. So, uh, you know, there's a lot we could talk about today on the issue, but, um, but yes, it is an important issue, uh, in San Francisco. Chris, let me deviate, let me deviate away for just a minute for you guys. Um, I'd love it if the listeners had a better idea of what you're talking about with open source. Let me give you a parallel and tell me if this explains it a little better than trying to go at it directly. Uh, very early trial of mine when I returned to Northern California, um, and, I had a guy who was charged with being drunk in public. Officer, the, the PA puts on two officers. The first one said, take my word for it, he was drunk. I asked him about specifics. No, no, just take my word for it. Very arrogant. Take my word for it. Nobody on the jury was convinced. The second officer was wonderful. She explained it. She said, this is what I saw. And gave out descriptions that I'll, I'll spare everybody on the air. 
um, of what kind of condition he was in, slurring his words, had soiled his own clothing, um, was really in no condition to be anything other than protected from himself and convinced everybody there, well, if that's what was going on, he was clearly drunk. And it seems to me that open source, we're talking about something that's a lot more fundamental, but it's the same thing. From what I understand, what you're telling me is that open source, you can actually see what it's based on. You could figure out how they did their calculations, what not just what came out, but what went in and how it works, so that you trust it and you know the result. Is that a fair, is that a fair summary? Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, open source voting, it brings transparency to the, the process. And um, that's one of the reasons why pretty much everyone across the aisle can get behind this issue. Everyone's supportive of transparency, you know, from San Francisco to, to Shasta County, as, as Brent was saying. Let me turn it over to Peter from San Francisco. Welcome to your legal rights. Peter, did we lose you? Are you still on the line? Yes, please. I'm Looks here. Like- uh, sorry, Peter, I'm here. Welcome to your here. Are you there? Welcome. We hear you. You're on the air. Um, thanks very much. Sorry for the delay. Um, I'm glad you're having this discussion. Um, my main question is secret ballot. We used to have a concept of secret ballot which would prevent vote buying or possibly coercive uh, voting by somebody who's uh, standing next to somebody when they're alone in front of a computer or even a mail-in ballot. But, um, you know, the old way which required you to show up at a voting a place of voting meant that you would pull the curtain and have a secret op- an opportunity to vote secretly so nobody could pay you if you voted a certain way. And that seems to have gone completely by the wayside when, whenever there's a discussion of mail-in ballot or especially computerized uh, voting, especially voting from home. So is there any value any longer attached to the secret ballot? Well, I, I could, yeah, I could take that question. Um, yeah, the secret ballot is still, still the law, as far as I'm aware. And... Um, in California, we do not allow computerized voting. All voting has to take place on a paper ballot. So there's no voting by Internet in California. And that's for good reasons, for security reasons. But um, as far as mail-in ballots, you're, it is correct that the person mailing in the ballot, maybe they're next to someone who can see their ballot, but as, at least on the the department side, when they're opening those envelopes, they're not associating those ballots with the um, the person that sent the ballot in. And that connection is not stored in terms of the information that's stored on the department side. But the secret ballot still is the law today. And the Department of Elections, you know, maintains that to the extent that it's able Chris, let me let me ask you a follow up question to that, um, uh, and we I think can stipulate that the entirety of the election process can be tightened, and uh, not to say that it's not functional, but systems can be tightened, 
and upgraded. Um, what What is your on point of this discussion? What is your familiarity? What is your prediction for these open source systems coming into either San Francisco County or the state as a whole? Well, as we know, California has historically been a leader in, in innovation te technologically. Okay, Thank you. Um, you know, we've got Silicon Valley here in California, and we also have a, a nonprofit that's based in San Francisco named Voting Works, who actually developed the country's first open source voting system. And they are being used in other locations in the United States. So I think it's very natural that California could could work together with an organization like this. And they're they're based right here, and to to get this going in California. And I think it's really uh, up to the Secretary of State or local jurisdictions to kind of push that forward. You know, we've been trying to do that in San Francisco, but if other states can make it happen, I think we should be able to make it happen in California as well. Right. I do you think that this will happen in California because the state will wise up and do it? Or is this something where individual counties are going to have to take the lead and show the way to where the state sees the benefits of it and jumps into the game? I think it's a, a combination. I think it, it's going to take three things. Number one, there has to be an organization that submits a system in California to be certified. So we need that technical solution to be available. The Secretary of State has to certify it. You know, they, they should not be um we don't want to have any double standards where they where they make it harder for the open source system to be certified and then thirdly we need to have a county that wants to acquire that system so these three things kind of have to come together but they're all related like if if the the state is not supportive of open source voting then organizations might be discouraged from even submitting their system so it would be nice if we can have, you know, desire expressed at the state level to kind of draw in these organizations to make it happen sooner. Right. And, and uh, I appreciate your, your eloquent language there. And uh, you're a very kind person because as you know, uh, my position has been for many, many years that we really need to take a hard look at the lobbyists that are, um, controlling the brains of both sides of the aisle through the electeds and make sure that we don't have uh, folks like Microsoft. I use them as a, as an example, but uh, the intellectual property gang uh, controlling on this issue. This is what uh, myself and, and uh, my associate Jim Wolsey have highlighted is this is a very, crucial place for Microsoft to stand down and lobbyists to take a step back and recognize that even though open source may be considered or has been historically considered a market adversary to those sorts of sales groups, um, the security is the essence of the issue. And this is a national security issue we have to make sure we're employing 
deploying best practices uh, when it comes to our election systems. And we have to have the public with confidence uh, equally or perhaps more importantly. The public has to have confidence in the results or we're going to keep uh, coming into this uh, situation of uh, public unrest, civil unrest. So that's, that's, um, you know, why the issue is so crucial. And Chris, again, why you should be saluted for your uh, efforts on this, because, you know, this has been going on for 15 years. I think that you've been involved. I've been in 20 plus, and then there's people standing behind us uh, whose shoulders we stand upon that have been doing this for longer. And um, now it's really come to the forefront for everybody, I think, in the U.S., whereas before we were fighting a battle that really was, people were largely unaware of. But I think at this point, people have be- become aware that we need to employ best practices. And so thank you very much for your work. And, and Jeff, do you have uh, some more questions for Chris? I do, but before I do, I have uh, a caller on the line. I'd like to turn it over to Paul from Oakland. Welcome to your legal rights. Hi. Um I was working uh, for a little while as uh, an activist for a progressive group in 2008, uh, pushing for open source voting and for paper ballots. And the Secretary of State at the time, Deborah Bowen, uh, around that time did uh, uh, put forward paper ballots and also some uh, auditing, such as uh, sample recounts and, and also a provision for automatic recounts when the election is closed. Um, but uh, but she didn't uh, put forward open source. Uh, excuse me, open open source voting. Do you know uh, what is the current state of the law regarding recounts? And um, you know, my understanding is that the the party can ask for a recount; they have to pay for it. But is uh, is there still um, sample recounting and automatic recounting in some situations? And and do you think it's uh, sufficient? Yeah, I'll, I'll take that one. So in terms of recounts, one one process that does happen in California is something called the 1% manual tally. It's not a recount, but what it does is it, in any jurisdiction, they have to, you have to manu- randomly select 1% of the precincts after you've counted all the ballots. And then what you do is you, by hand, you count the ballots in those 1% of the precincts and verify that it matches the machine count. So this is a very rudimentary statistical method of of making sure that the machines are counting the ballots correctly. So you have to do that for all contests. And that law has been on the books for for many years, probably maybe going back to Deborah Bowen. But on the the topic of recounts where you're counting more than 1%, uh, you are correct. It's still the case that the person requesting the recount has to pay for it. I know that happened in um, the East Bay recently. Mm-hmm. There may have been some law changes this past year, but I'm not. I'm not real sure on that. Chris, I'm glad you brought up the the East Bay. And just for the record, uh, some of us activists that are a little more strict um, are um, always advocating for a uh well first of all 
a precinct count previous to transportation of the ballot. So you're not relegated to central tabulation, but rather capture your batch count before transportation. So that that we think is a good idea. Another thing that's a good idea is eventually to have a 100% audit like they did in Georgia, rather than be reliant on a risk-limiting audit or a 1% manual tally. That I mean, that's all better than nothing, but, but I want to present the other side, which is, you know, I think we should always strive for the most robust audit that we can. And um, uh, I know you probably feel, feel the same, but I wanted to ask you about Alameda County when we say the East Bay. I know that they had the circumstance, and maybe you can elaborate, uh, where they pressed the button for mayor one day and it came up one name. And then the next day they pressed the button again and it came up another name, which is, uh, you know, in the law, res ipsa, uh, the thing speaks for itself. So uh, I wondered about your thoughts regarding Alameda County, what they're doing. I know they have ranked choice voting. And, and can you elaborate? Um, sure. I'm not... I'm not 100% sure what you're talking about. We're pressing the button twice, but I know one of the issues that happens with any election is as more ballots are getting processed, the winner can change from day to day, like especially if it's close. Yeah, this, this, just so you know, this wasn't incrementals. This was the entirety. They pressed it, ran the election, had a, well, a, a final let, count. Let me- let me jump in and help you out here, Brent. Yeah. Uh, this was not the mayor's race, although they questioned the mayor's race and as a result. But this was a school official, school as I recall. Right. Right. And right. <clears throat> what actually happened was they certified the election and then determined they got it wrong because they misapplied something. And suddenly they told somebody, I know we certified the election, but it really didn't work out that way. Right. And. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, I misspoke. It was school board. The mayor's yeah. question came into the mayor's race came into question fairly vigorously because, of course, once it was admitted that the system had failed, at that point they were, you know, upset with the mayor's race. But Chris, uh, you're a ranked choice voting fella. What what are your thoughts regarding ranked choice voting and and how it interplays with open source? Yeah, so I, I am familiar with the the school dis, the school board race. I I wasn't sure what the mayor's issue was, but let me just address the school board race first, and then I'll get to your more broad question about ranked choice voting. But in the case of the school board, the registrar had misconfigured the tabulator to um, use a different set of rules for the ranked choice voting, and that that misconfiguration was only detected by the public after they had already certified the election, as, as Jeff said. So um, I think the problem there is that Alameda County does not have a lot of transparency around their results. They don't provide the, the ballot data to the public. They don't provide the configuration files to the public. So it was very, very hard for an, an outside observer to notice that they were doing something wrong. And this was eventually caught by a, a nonprofit organization who had who had put in a request for that information, and they were given the information, so they they were able to check it. So, your on your larger question of ranked choice voting, I think it's really important in general for there to be transparency around elections. You want to give the public a lot of information, 
And especially with ranked choice voting, where it's a more involved tabulation process, it's it's really important for the the counties to have a good process for um, providing information to the public, so the public can check that everything's being done correctly. And I think then that would address a lot of these issues. Thanks, Chris. Uh, Jeff, I think we need to take station ID break. Uh, that we do. You're listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco Bay Area. We'll be back right after this. Support for KALW is provided by the Bar Association of San Francisco. If you live in San Francisco or Marin County, the Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service can arrange for you to meet with an attorney experienced in the area of law related to your situation. Call 415-989-1616 or visit sfbar.org for more information. And before we return to the program, we're taking a short break to remind you that we're in the first day of KALW's Winter Fundraising Drive. And we've been doing well so far, but we do need to keep the momentum going. Our goal for this hour of your legal rights is five. That's five of you stepping up and contributing by calling 800-525-9917, 800-KALW-917, or go online, KALW.org. And uh, if your legal rights has been helpful to you at all um, during the last year or several years, then it's time for you to return the favor. Call in your contribution and give what you can afford. 800-525-9917 or online, KALW.org. Jeff, do you have anything to add? Absolutely. You know, you mentioned if we've been of help in the last year, the last couple of years, your legal rights has been doing this for 40 plus years. We give out advice, we give information, we give guidance on how people can make decisions on such simple things as dealing with your landlord, or you have a family law problem, or what's going on with your employer. We've been doing this for you for over 40 years, long before I came in here and did it. Since I've been here, we've tried to broaden our coverage a little bit, talk about some more um, more contemporary current events in addition to the nuts and bolts. But the fact is, we're only here because you're here. And just as we try to encourage calls every night, we try to encourage you to, so that we can answer your specific questions. We also are asking that you participate in another way, and that's to help KALW keep us going and keep the doors open. And to that end, to the extent that you can, we ask that you call in a pledge at 800 525-9917, or as I did myself, do it online at KALW.org. Of course, one of the big boxes you'll see is donate. It's very easy, very painless, and it will keep the doors open for shows such as this one, as well as a phenomenal series of programming, both in events, in news, and in music with shows that wouldn't exist anywhere else. We're the only ones in the Bay Area with this level of community participation. So please join us as you can. We're only looking for five of you, five of you to join KALW during this hour of your legal rights. Contribute whatever you can afford. Every contribution, no matter how large or small, 
is greatly appreciated by us. $50 is our basic membership level. If you can afford more, think about becoming a monthly supporter at $10 or $20 a month. You choose the level that's comfortable for you. Again, the number 800-525-9917 or go online org. And now, back to your legal rights. And as I mentioned, we are encouraging you to call in with your thoughts. You're listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7, San Francisco Bay Area. I'm Jeff Hayden, joined by tonight's co-host, Brent Turner. And tonight, we're discussing your vote, how it's counted, who's behind it, just how do you know for sure. And we'd like to hear from you, and we'd like to continue this conversation about what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. My guest tonight, well, my co-host, Brent Turner, and... Chris Jordanik from the San Francisco Elections Commission. He's currently the vice president of the commission. He's been the president two, no, three times. Um, they're all here to help you and understand these issues and why they warrant so much attention. If you have questions for my guests, our phone number is 415-841-4134. If you're outside of the Bay Area, call us toll-free at 866 798 8255. You can call regarding any question on tonight's topic. You're not limited to the exact point we may be in our conversation. And where we left off, uh, Brent made an interesting comment about how some of these big actors have lobbyists and they talk to our legislators. As an outsider, it appears to me that if I were doing that, I would familiarize myself with staff. You don't have to have a giant basket, a giant uh, treasure chest for a legislator, and certainly you don't have to make it illegal. Just becoming familiar and making me the hero of some of the staff that stays on long after the legislator legislator has termed out, it's going to make it that much harder to break in with something like this. Ultimately, are you really, and this, Chris, I would ask you, are you really going to be dependent if you really want to get some movement here on a more grassroots movement, really getting people involved, getting common people involved to talk to the legislature so maybe they realize there's another side to this? Well, fortunately, we do have some some groups like that that have been helping out on this issue in the, in the recently. There's an organization called the California Clean Money Campaign that has a a membership list of something like 150,000 people in California. And they were instrumental in getting a a state bill to provide $16 million in matching funds to develop an open source voting system. That was back in 2019. And they got the bill through the assembly and then it got held up in the Senate. But certainly if we're not seeing progress today, maybe the way to break the logjam is to get the state legislature to pass a bill to, to, um, you know, to bring it about. And we expect that sort of legislation to move forward in California, as it has shown signs of moving forward in other States. And, um, uh, you know, we're, we've, we've made grand attempts at the legislature in California, but as Chris mentioned, that is the unfortunate reality is somewhere along the lines, the political logjam has occurred. 
And um, that's why states like Mississippi and New Hampshire are to be saluted because they've streamlined their systems in order to be able to deploy best practices uh, fairly quickly. Um, And that also uh, the group uh, voting works that Chris mentioned is been a big catalyst for that work. I also want to remind the audience or let the audience know there's a lot of technology occurring here. Um, So if you hear little bits and pieces, uh, my apologies in the background, but uh, Chris, go ahead. Yeah. I want to share a story about the the legislation piece and how even with legislation and the staff can, can prevent progress. The, back in 2013, the legislature passed a bill to allow open source to be piloted in California. And guess how many years it took the Secretary of State to develop the regulations for that? It took them 10 years to develop the regulations. And that was only after two of the, the county boards, the presidents of the Board of Supervisors, wrote an official letter to the Secretary of State. So... Even when you do have a state law that gets passed to move something forward, the staff can um, just drag their feet and it might take another decade for it to actually start happening. So at every step of the way, activists need to be, you know, holding people accountable. Well, I mentioned the National Organization of Women and the Southern Poverty Law Center and others that have been uh, uh, advocates for open source elections. Um, we, we use that to move on national levels as well. And just for the sake of the audience to, to know, this has been put forward, um, all the way from the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy, uh, down to the uh, Elections Assistance Commission, and everyone else. So everybody has been briefed on this. I don't think there are too many folks in any ranking positions of government that aren't familiar with this issue and understand that the folks that are advocating open source are pointing to the Department of Defense and others, and the folks that are uh, foot-dragging are causing a national security crisis because even if the systems currently do work well enough to conduct the election, there's a public confidence, public trust issue that occurs when you can't really see what's going on. And so hopefully, Chris, due to your efforts and the efforts of many others, which we should give uh, props to folks like Alan Deckert from Open Voting Consortium, folks that work tirelessly for no pay uh, for many, many years, trying to push this issue forward for the sake of country. And so, again, thanks to you. And and, uh, I'll turn it back over to Jeff if he has any more questions. But uh, I want to say that your work on the San Francisco Elections Commission has been exemplary, and thank you again. Thank you. And let me ask you, outside of open source, which we've spoken of quite a bit uh, tonight, just in general, you've been sitting on the Elections Commission 
for 10 years. And from what I can see, you've chaired it uh, two, no, three times. Um, looking back at your time on the commission, where do you think we've succeeded just in San Francisco? And where do you think we've come up short? Well, I personally have tended to focus more on more technical aspects of the election processes. You know, I, I'm also a, a big advocate of ranked choice voting. So I, I spent time trying to improve the processes and transparency around ranked choice voting. So we've seen a lot of incremental improvements in how ranked choice voting gets reported to the public in San Francisco. You know, in, in contrast to Alameda County, in San Francisco, the department releases all of the ballot data on election night as the ballots are getting counted. And then later on, the department even makes public pictures of every ballot. There are on the order of 500,000 ballots or actually 2 million ballot cards that are, are available online for the public to inspect. So the public can, can, um, you know, check that each of the contests was counted correctly from those those pictures. So I think in terms of the transparency, that's one area that we've we've really excelled over the years. I think, as I said earlier, I think we've fallen short on the open source voting. This is something that's been a priority for the city for over 15 years now. And we, we don't really have much, anything to really show for it. Well... I will say, I will say, Chris, with with uh, you, you know due deference, uh, the fact that you uh, have been helpful in keeping the conversation alive and moving um, has helped with other territories. Uh, we know that we also, uh, myself, Alan Deckert, and and with uh, your your assistance, uh, we were pushing on Los Angeles uh, in the early days to move toward an open source voting system. And actually we had, we achieved an allocation of $300 million to Los Angeles County to do this exact thing of providing an open source election system. That would be the uh, model for the United States. And when uh, that money hit Los Angeles, we tagged on a caveat that if they didn't work with the A-team for open source, if they went down the primrose path with folks that were uh, not as focused on patriotic duty as they were profit, that that money could go south. And in fact, that money evaporated the 300 million. And to this day, unless you correct me, Los Angeles does not have an open source voting system. So there's been some bizarre moments behind the curtain that really I've been waiting for the next shoe to drop uh, when it comes to some enforcement mechanism. But uh, unfortunately, it's the Wild West. And and so, you know, you I, I don't think San Francisco's lack of progress specifically within the county borders, is tantamount to a defeat. I think it spilled over and the benefits showed up in New Hampshire and Mississippi and other places. So I wanted to just chime in on that. Yeah, thanks, Brent. Yeah, we've, we've, I think we've 
catalyzed movement elsewhere. And I, I know we've got some really big names on the record in support of open source voting. Jerry Brown endorsed open source voting a couple years ago. The state's bipartisan Little Hoover Commission endorsed open source voting a few years ago. It's Deborah, Deborah, Deborah Bowen, right. uh, previous Secretary of State, and, and locally here in San Mateo County, uh, David Canapa uh, came out very strongly with an op-ed piece, which, which was very, very much appreciated. And Christine and, Pelosi. Uh, Christine Pelosi uh, helped me put uh, the, uh, well, uh, I helped her put, let's say, uh, open source voting in the California State Democratic Party platform. So that was a big moment and an achievement. And I think little by little, even though it's, you know, darkest before the dawn and all that, um, I think we're going to get somewhere. And now that New Hampshire and Mississippi are leading on it, I think the other states, just sheer market factors will come in with the open source systems being uh, approximately half the cost of a proprietary system. That should be compelling for the different states and county jurisdictions. And I think it will increment, but it's unfortunate. Uh, it's taken the amount of time that it's taken us, and uh, uh, hopefully we'll see better days ahead and bright days ahead. So if you were to put this on the ballot, would you trust the proprietary voting software to give you the correct results? Only if it gave the right answer. I'll let Brent answer that one. Only if it gave the right answer. Now, that's a joke. Yeah. So uh, the problem is you just don't know. Of course, everybody appreciates a positive result. Uh, but the problem is you just don't know. So this is very simple stuff. You know, with the current system, you really don't know what you're talking about. And if somebody tells you that they know, mm, that's that's a little dubious. With the open source system, everybody knows, and it's there. And even if you can't read code, you probably know somebody that does, and there's a large group of people that can cross-check each other. And so the public confidence part uh, skyrockets, and that's what makes it such an ecumenical issue and, and unites both sides of the aisle, which is very unusual in this political climate. Uh, being up in Shasta County, where I just – traveled up to testify, um, you know, I got uh, a rousing applause from the MAGA folks in their military uh, outfits and uh, the the uh, flower children with the, uh, you know, uh, bouquets. So both sides agree on this one, and, and uh, that's unusual in itself. That, uh, so that's why I have confidence and faith that this eventually will be the order of the day and we'll see the disruption of the intellectual property protected systems. And there, are, that... there, are also, ahead, there are also advantages in addition to transparency and security. It's, act, it's, it's more affordable than proprietary systems for a couple reasons. You know, one of the reasons is that because the, the IP is is open to the public. You could bring in, you know, local local vendors to service the system. You're not dependent on just one vendor. So it kind of opens up the competitive field and brings down costs that way. And also, it's it's more um, more flexible. Like you can fix the problems on your own. You don't need. You're not just limited to the one vendor. 
So there's a whole host of advantages. And I think over time, like Brent said, I think it's it's going to be in county's interests even for just even just to save money. They'll, they'll be drawn to open source. You know, in a related but different note that brings up the question, Chris, is um, to what extent is San Francisco on an official level watching some of the things that have been happening, whether it be in Shasta or Alameda counties or in other states? Are, are, are we still in, a, in an environment where county by county we're a series of bubbles that we're each operating within? Or are, is there some observation taking place of the mistakes and the triumphs of other of other areas and is that influencing policy that's a that's a really great question jeff and it's it's a puzzle to me why the media chooses to focus on certain stories and not others and um and to your to your question the san francisco chronicle or sf gate i've seen several stories about shasta county in san francisco but that same paper is not writing about the activity around open source at its own elections commission. So I think the media can be drawn more to, to controversy and sensation rather than good government reforms. So we need to find a way to, to bring these media outlets to bring their lenses on, on this issue. Because yeah. no, I don't think we hear about Mississippi, New Hampshire, in Alaska, in the in the local media here in San Francisco, Jeff. To that point, you know, I've had conversations with uh, the uh, former ambassador to Russia, Mike McFall, and uh, and his take on it was: we don't want to cause panic. And there is a bit of intuition on this that um, you you want to make sure that the public confidence isn't injured or lessened by the conversation itself. But I feel and have felt that the best way to approach this is with honesty and vigor and to spread the word throughout the election official space in the U.S. And and so we do email blasts from the California Association of Voting Officials when that was more relevant in its moment, it was an ecosystem steward. And we would blast out uh, emails, keeping people up to date about this open source issue. Now we're at a point where um, people are in the know. So the public isn't necessarily heightenedly aware about it, but the uh, infrastructure and the politicians are very much aware. And the DOD is on point and have been very brave and, and strong in standing with us to say, hey, listen to these folks. And and that's the same with the Office of Science and Technology Policy, uh, at least under Obama with President Biden. Um, it hasn't been quite so fruitful, but there was some moments where it looked like the feds. And I still think current, uh, we're going to get real smart on this. And also, uh, my understanding is the EAC, that we have some good open source people, uh, Cami Foot and others that are coaching the EAC to get their standards in alignment with 
what voting works and these other technology folks can provide because this is not a subject matter to be argued any longer. The better systems are already deployed and functional. So thank goodness for that. And now it's just a matter of pushing them in this information outward. Well, I did want to give each of you a chance for any closing thoughts. Let me start with Chris. Do you want to take about two minutes for any uh, final words, any closing thoughts you have? Sure, Jeff. So one of the, uh, and thank you, one of the positive developments from our activity in San Francisco is that these, these regulations for open source voting pilots are now complete. So that opens the door for any county in California to to get a pilot going. And really, it just takes one county in California. So if, if any of your listeners have a good relationship with any of their members of their board of supervisors, let them know that they could pilot an open source voting system in their county. And it can just be in one or two precincts. And that would do a huge service to advancing this issue in California. And they could, um, if they express interest, I'm sure that Voting Works would be willing to to do the grunt work for that. And then um, just have to go to the Secretary of State for approval. And then hopefully with the support of your county board, the Secretary of State would approve that program. <clears throat> so there's, a, there's an opportunity here for all of your listeners to help push this issue forward. And um, Hopefully at, at some point in the future, this will be a type of system that we're using throughout California. Brent, do you want to take about a minute? Thanks, uh, Jeff. And thanks again, Chris, uh, for, for operating on the fly and filling in. We had one of the supervisors from Shasta County, unfortunately, not be able to make it. But uh, we'll hopefully circle back and include them on some upcoming shows. Um, but yes, thanks, Jeff, for, for hosting. Uh, and, and allowing me to co-host with you. This is not the most tantalizing subject matter for a lot of folks, but uh, we think it's crucial to the preservation and the uh, sustainability of our democracy. And, and we stand on the shoulders of hundreds, if not thousands of people that have spent thousands of hours uh, taking this subject matter to this point, where now we're seeing it increment into the U.S. election system uh, infrastructure. And, and so we'll keep you posted and hope to do another show in the future. And I'd like to thank you both. You've been listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco Bay Area. Tonight, we've been discussing an overview of a revolution in Chester County and other election news. That is, what happens to your vote after it's cast? Our guest tonight has been Chris Jernetic, Vice President of the San Francisco Election Commission, and my co-host, Brent Turner. And please join us next week, where, as always, we'll take your calls and answer your questions. A big thanks to my co-host and tonight's guest, and thanks to you for joining us. And on behalf of your legal rights, a big thanks to all of you for calling in and listening. And at the controls, Joanne Marr. I'm Jeff Hayden. Be safe, have a good night, and zealously guard your legal rights. Support for KALW is provided by the Bar Association of San Francisco 
If you live in San Francisco or Marin County, the Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service can arrange for you to meet with an attorney experienced in the area of law related to your situation. Call 415-989-1616 or visit sfbar.org for more information.